Hello friends, this is Chaplain Gary Rayburn, Lonesome Road Ministry, and we're getting ready to have Church on the Road. Hey, we're bringing a church to you right where you're at, in the cab. And we do it in a lot of different ways. We have a radio program, lonesomeroadradio.com. We have podcasts. We have CD ministry. We also have a telephone conference line. So log on to lonesomeroad.org for our podcast and to order some of our CDs. And if you'd like to listen in on our conference line, we get together every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Central Time, 4 p.m. Mountain Time, and 3 p.m. Pacific Time. Just dial this number, 727-731-5062. So buckle up and come right along with us. We're going to have Church on the Road. sun goes down, the hum of 18 wheels, Lord, that's a lonely sound, I spend all day chasing that old white line, I've been on the road so long, I've lost track of time, now it don't matter where I'm going, I just gotta drive, I have the white line fever to the day. I gotta see, I gotta look around, I got diesel smoke rolling, from two chrome stacks, my address is 408-414, a big blue Mac, now it don't matter where I'm going, I just gotta drive, I have the white line fever to the day. Lots of phone calls, emails, messages on Facebook, text messages. We get all kinds of messages from folks out there all across the country. And it's not just truck drivers that we're reaching out there. I got a great message on Facebook I want to share with you. And it says, Hi, I do not know you, but I just want to say I was saved at the age of 13 years old, listening to your song, Midnight in My Life. I recently went through something tough. And the Lord put that song on my heart, and I'm wondering, is there any way I can purchase this CD? I'd be so blessed to be able to listen to this song every day. God bless, Rebecca. I got on Rebecca's Facebook page, and i seen where she was married now, so this has been several, several years ago that she got saved at the age of 13. And yes, Rebecca, this one's for you. Here is Midnight in My Life off of our Lonesome Road Volume 1 CD, The McKay Project, Dennis and Leslie McKay singing it for you, Midnight in My Life.
night in my life 18 wheels and a lonely road I was on my way to Georgia With a heavy, heavy load So I stopped just for a minute To check my rig and walk around Looked up and called her name as my tears were falling down. It was midnight in my life, and I'd never been so blue. If you could count the stars in heaven, that's the tears I've cried for you. Is a pain that I can't bear And it's midnight in my life And there's no light anywhere I climbed back in the cab Took one last look around Man, it seemed like only yesterday When we laid her in the ground Just then a man appeared beside me Yeah, he took me by surprise He wore a long white robe and sandals Something about his eyes He said, put your faith in me, friend And know I really care I can heal the blind, make the lame to walk And I can take your dark despair And it was midnight in my life And I had never been so blue If you could count the stars in heaven That's the tears I've cried for you Being left down here so lonesome Is a pain that I can't bear Yeah, it's midnight in my life The tears I've cried for you Being left down here so lonesome That's a pain that I can't bear When it was midnight in my life Jesus showed me he still bless you for writing to us and I hope you got the CDs I mailed to you and all you have to do friends is ask and we will mail you some of our free CDs that will help you wherever you're at
You know, I was coming across Arkansas just a while ago. I'd been out west for a week or so. I just came through Little Rock and I was making real good time. I came up on the back of this Dallas Memphis mail truck. Apparently the driver saw the cross in my grill. He picked up his mic and he said, well, pass the plate and pay the lady. You know, it just run all over me. I could feel the hair raise up on the back of my neck. I picked up my microphone and I said, driver, I think it's a dirty rotten shame that you compare what Jesus Christ did on the cross for what somebody else might have done. The radio was kind of quiet, but God was keeping a clear channel. In a couple minutes, he came back to me. He said, preacher, is it real? I said, yes, driver, it's real. But I still didn't want to talk to him. I was kind of upset with him about the way he talked about the cross and what Christ had done for me. A couple minutes went by and he came back again. He said, preacher, how do you know it's real? I said, driver, I used to leave home with a fifth of vodka sitting between my legs, a bottle of speed upon the dash, two cartons of cigarettes to make sure I didn't run out from truck stop to truck stop. Wasn't hardly anything I wouldn't do or say. But you know, when Jesus Christ came into my life, I never needed none of that no more. A couple minutes went by, he said, preacher, would you pull over and pray with me? I want to be saved. I said, yes, driver, I will. You got to pray from your heart and not your head. You got to mean what you say. I met him at the back of my truck and we began to pray. I know my brother accepted Jesus that day. And before too long, we were back in our trucks and on the road again. I went back to him on the microphone and I said, driver, how do you feel? He said, with every mile that I drive, I feel that much better. I said, driver, if I never see you on this earth again, I will see you in heaven. God bless you in Jesus name, amen. And now we got a great message by one of our chaplains, James Henson, and he's gonna share his testimony tonight. So here's uh, Chaplain James Henson. Amen, amen, good evening everybody. Uh, you know, I, I named my testimony uh, Through the Fire because uh, God, if you trust him and believe in him, he'll bring you through the fire no matter where you're at. We all have fires in our lives and deep waters to go through. I heard that uh, the reason why God let us go through deep waters is because uh, the enemy can't swim. So when you're in deep water, just know that. But I, I, I was looking at Job 42:12. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning, and that's how I kind of base my life on. You know, when I look back on it. But my testimony is uh, through the fire. Uh, I was born 19, October 14, 1963, in Chicago, Illinois. The only child of uh, Charles E. Terrell and Jimmy Henson. Going back as far as I can remember when I was about five years old, when my mom and father were arguing in our apartment, and my mother got my father's thirty-eight and went into the bathroom and shot herself in the stomach. Uh, they, they stayed in arguments. I, you know, I can remember that like it was yesterday, though. I can remember exactly what apartment was. I even still drive by there sometimes because at times I, I just remember when my mom used to feed me them ketchup sandwiches are like my favorite sandwiches to keep me quiet. You know, but They had a big argument. Yeah, they, they had a big argument. She shot us up in the stomach, and um, I had to go stay in the projects in Chicago, which was a lower-income housing area, and uh, for two weeks with my great-grandmother. But they after that, they stayed together for a while after this, but then they divorced. And then we moved into my, uh, moved into my grandfather's uh, basement apartment. This was, this was uh, when someone gave me my first drink. That was about six or seven. 
Uh, my mother's side of the family was more than not the God crowd, and uh, my father's side was the family crowd. But my mother's side was a not the God crowd, but they still committed sins like the party side. You know, you couldn't really, in some parts of that family, you really couldn't tell the difference. But my mother and my, my auntie, which was my mother's sister, drank Canadian Club all the time, which was a whiskey. And I used to see it on the table all the time. You know, they didn't explain to me exactly what it is, but I was just saying that they felt good, and I asked my auntie to give me a sip, and she did. And she gave me a shot just to see me stumbling around the living room. Back Right now, they'd call that child abuse, but back then, you know, it was just a joke. You know, and then I think reaching back on that, I looked, that kind of set the course of my life, even though it seemed like a minor thing back then. It kind of opened up the door for drugs and alcohol, you know, because I heard at one time, my auntie just told me this not too long ago, that when I was a baby that they gave me beer in my baby bottle. They didn't have NyQuil and, you know, Robitussin back then, so they would use beer. They put beer in my baby bottle. So I guess I always had a taste for it, but it opened up the door. And um, the Bible says, point an arrow point your child like an arrow in the way you want them to go. And then that's what they did without even knowing it. They pointed the direction of my life for good or for bad, you know. My father and mother uh, kind of spoiled me because they were they were divorced and they didn't want me to feel the pains of the divorce. So, you know, everything went as usual. You know, I, seen, I, I spent time with my mom, my father on the weekends. I spent time with my mom. Around the sixth grade, uh, this is when I witnessed, witnessed my first school shooting. We had a guy by the name of Stephen Guy that uh, got expelled from school. He was in eighth grade, and so he, his father was a Chicago policeman. And um, he went back and got his father's 38 and 45 and came and shot the principal. Our class was a sixth grade class. It was right next to the principal office, so he shot the principal four times. And I had to look back at that article. I went back and got it like three days ago and went on the Internet and Googled it. You can Google Stephen Guy, Chicago Elementary School, Barton Elementary School. It'll come right up. And then this principal was trying to help this guy. But anyway, he he went and shot the principal four times, and he shot a number, a number of other people, but they survived. But as I keep looking back and as I read this myself, I wrote everything down because I didn't want to miss any time frames. But my course of my life was being set. You know, I wasn't coming turn into a murder or nothing, but the the drinking part of drinking and smoking cigarettes was set for for like a kind of like a relief for me. You know, a sneaking and drinking, a sneaking and taking a sip of the CC, a sneaking and smoking a cigarette. You know, I wasn't in the, the average kid things. You know, I, I looked good on the outside, but I was really hurt on the inside because as I got older, I had to go all the way back and look at and re write all this stuff down for myself. But anyway, he had shot the principal and everything, and we we was we had traumatized for that. After that, we went to another elementary school, but it was down the street. I used to visit my father on the weekends, him and his girlfriend and her four kids. Well, we all were around the same age, about 10 years old. So uh, my mom went to a lot of boyfriends and married men, you know, and these are Christian people I'm talking about. So you can see the hypocrisy and Christian, and, and all this time I'm little, I'm going to church every Sunday. I had the suit on. My, my grandfather was a deacon. I had the haircuts. You know, I'm sitting in front. But nobody ever told me about Jesus. You know, I was just, I was in Sunday school. I went to church Wednesday night, the Church of Christ, you know. And um, I was there all the time when the doors opened. But nobody ever told me about my eternal salvation. Even when I got old enough to be accountable, nobody explained to me. All the other kids were they, their parents showed them, you know, because in the Church of Christ, you couldn't have communion unless you were baptized. And I was wondering why I couldn't have communion, why I couldn't have that grape juice and crackers, you know. I couldn't I couldn't find that. But nobody in my family, through my whole life, and, and, and my family got Bibles stacked up to the ceiling. I mean, they got study notes, Bibles. They go to church. But nobody in that whole side of my family ever told me about Jesus. They ever told me that I had to give my life to him to be saved. My, my eternal salvation... Nobody ever told me about that, but, you know, that's how my life went. And I'm not, I don't feel bad about that. I'm not looking for sympathy, but I'm just saying we can go through whole lives, and if you haven't gave your life to Christ, just because you're going to church, like Billy Graham said one time, just because you, just because I'm in the garage, that don't make me a car, you know. So just because I go to church, that didn't make me a Christian, you know. And, and so I, I went through so many dangers in my life that, uh, 
that I could have died and went to hell and wouldn't even, you know, even know nothing about Jesus. But luckily he, he, he saved all that. But that's for a later part of the story. But when my father, uh, I visit my father and my, and my, and his girlfriend and the four kids on the weekends were, they were getting high off uh, some type of gas cylinder that my father got from his job. It was like one of those cylinders that you look like, it's like a cylinder that uh, you fill the helium up in the balloons. Somehow some guy at work taught my father at 28 years of age how to get high, like you open the cylinder up and you sniff it like a rush and you close it back up. So if there's two people doing it, somebody got to be there to close it. My father and his girlfriend went to a wedding reception September 14, 1974. That night, and I spent the weekend, so we was all the kids watching them getting ready everything, and we watched them and everything, and they left out and went to the reception. That next morning, they came back, and I guess that night they did what they had to do, and they, they passed away and they sleep at 28 years of age. We was knocking on the door all night, you know, because we were told not to come in without knocking. We had got our behinds up one time, like, severely because we walked in on them at the wrong time. So we stayed up all, you know, that morning, September 15, 1974. It was a Sunday morning. I'll never forget. And we beating on drums and knocking on doors. And she had, like, three girls and one boy. His name was Benjamin. So me and him was, like, best friends. And we was beating on the door. They never opened the door. Finally, the door cracked. We could see them laying in the bed, but they wouldn't move. So finally, we called all our relatives on both sides of the family, and they came and turned them over, and there was blood coming down. They know they were they were dead already, and um, and the house was new, so they had like new shag carpet, and so the the uh, the windows and the doors were closed, so they could no air get out, could no air come in, and so that whatever that whatever that gas was in that cylinder, that's what killed them in their sleep, and they suffocated. So that was at ten years of age. And so that was kind of traumatizing because, you know, I lost my father at a young age, and he was just 28, and he was about to get a job as a Chicago fireman. He had his whole life in front of him, but you can see how drugs was based around my family, drugs, getting high and drinking. It was like he started one drug, he was going to another one. It seemed like a rite of passage, you know, in my family on my father's side that you, if you were old enough to go get some alcohol and, and get some weed and get some cigarettes, you know, that made you a man, you know, like, you know, and that's how we were raised, you know. We didn't know no different. We were raised if you had a big stomach and you were out of shape or and you, you had high blood pressure and cholesterol, well, that's a man, you know, and I, you know, I look back on it now and say, wow, this is so crazy because so many people are, people are dying from this high blood pressure, cholesterol, and overweight. So... I got to the part about, my, you know, my mom and them was a nod to God crowd, which they still sinned and, and still lived in unrepentant sin. It was just like when you get out of church, they would go to the bar. It, it, back then, that was a thing. They would smoke cigarettes outside the church. Everybody smoked. They even had a smoking room in the church. They weren't conscious of how we are now about church. But, uh, no, like I said, no one ever told me about being a child of God to secure my eternal salvation. I, I was just going through the motions. Alcohol and smoking weed and, and was a weight or a rites of passage to me as an adult. I played sports, but this side of me, this side of drugs, was always pulling on me. So we started drinking about eighth eighth grade, drinking um, Witcher's Wild Irish Rose. That was a thing to get. It was cheap. We can get it eighth grade. We had somebody going to the liquor store and go get it for us. I started smoking weed about my sophomore year. Then everything was a blur after that. You know, I was living. Oh, real good because my mom, my, when my father passed, he left everything to me at 10. I was his only child, so the house he had that he was living in with his girlfriend, they left that to me. I was a homeowner, paid for it, 10 years old. So me and my mom moved from an apartment, from my grandfather's apartment, to that house. It took me some years to move in that house because my father had passed away in it. But my mom kept telling me, you know, we, we don't have to pay rent no more. It's a nice house. It was in the upper middle class neighborhood. All she had to pay was utilities. And so that's what we did, and we finally moved in. Nice neighborhood. Neighborhood was an athletic neighborhood. We all played sports, did karate, went to karate tournaments, played basketball, football, baseball, athletic. We know everything we did was based around sports. People had basketball courts in their backyard. So everything was based around that until, like, my junior year when I started meeting girls and, and, you know, going to parties and then the drugs and alcohol kind of after two years it slipped back in my life, and that's all we did. So... I barely made it out of high school, you know, because I, I did good the first three years, but then the weed came back, you know, and then so it made me lazy and, and complacent, you know. I, I, I barely wanted to make it, but luckily I had this 
this architectural draft uh, teacher named Isaiah Curry that stuck in my corner and pushed me like a father because I didn't have a father figure around. And so he, by, by the time of my um, by the time of senior year was almost over, I was getting involved again. I passed with all C's, but I got accepted at Morrison Institute of Technology for architectural drafting. But then being a person of no kind of, uh, what you say, I didn't have any kind of, uh, I don't know the word for it. I just wasn't ready for college to be off on my own and to be on my own time schedule. Then I got to college, and then it was weed again. So I dropped out. You know, I went there for a little while. Uh, that Morrison to the technology, and I transferred to Parkland College by the University of Illinois. And then I went to the University of Illinois for like a semester. But all the time was this, we didn't do anything but get high. You know, the, the smart people knew how to get high and go to class. We didn't. We knew how to get high and go to parties and sleep. That's all we knew how to do. So after that, you know, my grandfather died. My grandmother died on my father's side. So I went. I dropped out of school, went back home to get a job. I already had a daughter by the age of 16, my oldest daughter that I have now, God bless her, and my grandchildren. But I already had a daughter by the age of 15. So at 21, I married my daughter's mother, you know, and um, that was turmoil because we had a house that was paid for at 21. We lived in a nice neighborhood. They used to, you know, Bill Cosby was out there, and they used to call us the Cosby family because we looked good on the outside. But my whole life was still a disarray because, I had everything laid out for me. I took it for granted, and it was just drugs and alcohol. And I, I'm not ashamed to say it now because I'm alcohol, drug-free, and all that. But now this, for somebody who's fighting this battle, it, it was rough, you know, because it was a way of life to us. We was raised to – our life was just based on weed and, and drinking and smoking. And weed was a gateway drug. Don't let anybody ever tell you different. It was a gateway drug because it led to cocaine. It led to other things, you know. It didn't get far as heroin, but cocaine was bad enough. But anyway, we went through that turb that was a uh, turbulent marriage, you know, at young. We got married too young. We just got married because everybody told us to get married. We didn't get married because we loved each other and we thought it looked good. But anyway, um that didn't work out. We ended up breaking up and my mom had already moved out of the house and moved back down to the lower end of Chicago. So I ended up moving in with her until I was like twenty eight and then I you know, I was separated from my wife then and um I joined the army. It wasn't nothing left for me to do. Everybody at my age had good jobs and everything. Everybody was getting everybody good jobs, but you could find out who your friends is when you hit rock bottom. So I joined the army and um I was one of the oldest recruits at twenty eight, but I excelled in rank. But um I, I was really I mean, that was something I found because I was already like a clean person. And that I fit right in, you know, order and cleanness. I could do that because I could get high and just clean up. So that was the thing. I don't know how it worked out. But I gave up drugs, went to the Army. But the drinking increased. You couldn't get high in the Army, but the drinking was prevalent in the Army. And we were in Germany, so that was like the drink capital, you know. But first I was in California, Fort Ord, but then I shipped to Germany. And, um, and the drinking increased. I did a couple of tours. I got out in Germany. This is where I met my second wife because the first divorced me because she met someone else when I was in Germany, so she filed for um, abandonment, you know. She just left, you know. We, I took care of my daughter, but as far as being her concern, we had been through too much, so she met somebody else. My, my second wife was a German citizen. She was a month pregnant when I met her. We were together about seven years doing, this time I worked as a manager for the Army Air Force Exchange Service, which I can't start as a supervisor, then I grew through that. I, I knew how to get the jobs, and I ended up being an area manager, a district manager in Germany. But it just the drinking just increased, the partying just increased. It is something that I thought was a way of life. I couldn't even do anything without smoking weed. It was just like smoking a cigarette or having a cup of coffee tomorrow. I had to have it in the morning, in the evening. I would go out on lunch and smoke weed. And everybody around me was doing that. It's like the devil knew what, you know, when, you, when you're in trouble, it's easy to find trouble. I'm telling you, when you're sinning, sin will be put around you. The door is open. I'm saved. I, I got saved, you know, I think right before I went to the Army, but it wasn't nothing because as soon as we got saved, we went to the liquor store. So I figured if I was going to be saved, I'd be living like Christ. I knew you might have some troubles at first. You might backslide a couple of times, but I had an unrepentant heart. So I called myself getting, getting saved then, but that was the first time, and I, I really wasn't. Drinking increased. It was a way of life. I couldn't do anything without it. I had the, I had three major car accidents in Germany. I mean three major car accidents 
and uh, on the Autobahn, which is no speed limit, and I survived. Uh, one, and the last one, I flipped a Mercedes Benz and broke my chest bone. And uh, when this, at the same night I did that, I was drinking because my, 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 my future wife, she just had our baby. When I met her, she was a month pregnant, but we had, we had planned another baby, and we had her. Her name was Destiny. Her name is Destiny. So I, um, I got drunk that night, and I was celebrating. Went to go get something from the store, and I was on a back row, flipped a Mercedes Benz upside down in somebody's backyard. Everybody came out. I walked back to the house with a broken chest bone, and the police came down there, and they got me the polizide. That's what they call them in Germany. They came and got me, took me to the, took me to the jail, and took me to the hospital, and then where I, you know, I lost my license. But being in Germany, that was my only way of employment because. I was an American citizen. They couldn't speak fluent German, so I worked on the, the Army post, the Army concern, which was my way of life. I got an ID card. I get to go to the PX, to, you know, shop on posts and everything, and, um, and, and, and I had a way of life. But after the third DUI, they, they were done with me. They gave me so many chances and everything, so I didn't have any income or nothing. At that same time, my um, girlfriend's father, this one I was introduced to a Ponzi scheme that we didn't know – what Ponzi was until I got home and seen Madoff, but he was an investor in Germany, which was a real nice guy, but he was running a Ponzi scheme, scheme and it was supposed to be like a stock market. Well, we invested in it about $2,000, and it grew to like 300,000 Deutschmarks, which was about $200,000 American money. I had never had that much money before in my life, and I was like, why go back to work? I was home with the kids. She was working as a secretary with him, and I could stay home and drink and get high all I wanted and just watch the kids, you know, not in front of the kids, but, you know, I was a house husband. I did the housework. I cooked. I cleaned everything. I spent my time. I would go out and get high, come back in the house, do what I had to do. I never got high around my kids. I never introduced my kids to, to weed. It was something that I, I had to battle with. But um, I couldn't get a job in Germany because of the economy. I couldn't speak fluent German. Everything I bought during this time, was from selling, from stealing, selling drugs, or selling cigarettes on the black market. Because American cigarettes, if you bought them off the Army Post, you can take them to the Germans, the Deutsches, and, and they would buy them for astronomical prices. So before I left the Army Air Force Exchange Service, I had already stocked up all these cigarettes to have because I knew something was about to happen when I got fired. So I ended up uh, scheming and doing that. But we went through the Ponzi scheme, come to find out that my father-in-law was selling stocks that really wasn't there. All this money he had stocked up from these Turkish guys. I mean, everybody in Germany was from all around the world, Turkish, Haitian, you name it, they lived in Germany, you know, and he had to, they came to collect. I mean, it was gangsters coming to get their money back. And overnight, we lost everything. We lost the money, the 200000 We had like $80,000 on, on the living room table one time. We was counting. I had never seen that much money in my hand at that age in my life, you know. And I was like, I thought everything was cool, but it was just the beginning of the worst. So uh, we lost everything. My thing was to move back to the United States. I had been in Germany almost 10 years, you know, and it was time to go home. I had missed my family. I didn't come back to the States for 11 years, so I didn't see my family and nobody. And the only place that would take my VA benefits was the United States. I couldn't buy a house or nothing being, a, being, a, being in the Army in Germany. But if I could have got a job if I spoke the language, but I didn't speak the language. So, that, you know, that was back. So I talked to my girlfriend. I said, well, why don't I go back home and get a job because I had retail experience, and then I sent for you and the kids. And so uh, I went home. Flew back to Chicago and, and got a job. Well, I had three jobs lined up, three area manager jobs, Wendy's corporate office, Naperville was a, some kind of health club and a, a, a pest control company. All of them was manager jobs, but they didn't pay me the money that I was getting in Germany because Germany I was getting cold and per diem and all this stuff because I was overseas. The money when I came back to the States was little to nothing. So I was living with my mom and my stepfather. She had got remarried and moved to a condominium building, and I was living with them. So but right before I was about to start the jobs on Monday, which was around April 12th or something like that, April 15th was Easter weekend, which was my mother's birthday. That Friday, my father came home. My stepfather, he drove a dump truck in Chicago, and he laid his check stub on the living room table and went and took a shower. I looked at his check stub. I seen this money. It was like $1,200. I was like, wow, he made this driving a truck? That's when the trucking bell just opened. So I started looking at Chicago newspapers, and I found a truck driving school. 
And I, I'm, I, I, I called them, and they said, you come to Florida, we're sent for the bus ticket from Chicago. You can go to Across America Truck Driving School. So uh, I told my mom, I said, I'm, she, she cooked a big dinner for Thanksgiving, I mean for her birthday, which was uh, Easter Sunday. And I said, Mom, I'm going to truck driving school. She said, no, don't do that. You just got back from Germany. I haven't seen you in 11 years. I said, Mom, look how much money your husband makes. I need to make that kind of money. My family is coming from Germany. I need to make some good money. I don't have time to climb up the corporate ladder. So off the truck driving school, I went. I caught the bus, which was like 26 hours down Largo, Florida. Went. I passed up everybody. I was so hungry for it. Never drove a truck before in my life, but I was so hungry because I needed to get my family over here from Germany. It's the only chance we had left. And so I, I went to Cross America Truck Driving School. I passed up everybody that was in the class with me. I graduated with the class that was a week there a week before me. That's how hungry I wanted. And I excelled. You know, I, I passed all the tests, the endorsements, and everything. And U.S. Express was the only company. All the other companies back then was Covenant, you know, Snyder, J.B. Hunt. It was a lot of the companies not around now, but they all came to the school to recruit us. But the only company that would let me take a two-week break was U.S. Express because I told them my wife was coming from Germany. We're getting married. My fiance, we're getting married. She's bringing the kids, and I need two weeks off. And U.S. Express was the only home down back then friendly company. They said, go ahead and take time, you know. So that's what I did. I sent for my wife. She came to the States. We got married. Uh, went down to City Hall. We had the two kids. My mom and them made her a dress, you know, because we didn't have the money to do all this. Made the girls a dress and you know, and so then she, we had two weeks together, honeymoon and everything. She went back to pack our stuff. 9-11 happened. That's when the Twin Towers got bombed. It was like uh, she was supposed to come over the month after that. And then um, so when the Twin Towers went down, my family went down because her family talked to her and told her not to come back. And no matter how much she loved me, she, they, they scared her and told her it was too much fear about terrorism. So... I lost my family. I couldn't get her back. Then right after that, she she started cheating on me, and I found out she was messing around in Germany, and it just really tore me down then because we had just had a baby, and it's the first thing I planned. It looked like everything was going right. And so my, I was in the back room of my mother's house. I'll never forget. I was crying every day, you know, and she said, you're going to have to come out of this. She said, you still got a, you still got a truck driving job. You still got a life to live. I said, Mom, but I wanted her. You know, I, I thought everything. She said, things just don't go like you planned. She said, she threw a Bible on the bed and said, you need to get in, get closer to God. So that's what I started trying to do. I got closer to God, and then um, I got me an apartment across the hall from my auntie, which lived on the first floor, because, like I said, it's a big condominium building. Everybody owned their, their apartments and everything. So I moved across the hall from my auntie, which was a real religious woman. She died when she was like 84. She was about 70 then. And so uh, everything was going good. I was working for U.S. Express. I got a local job with U.S. Express. I was home every night. I still had that drinking and weed problem. And you say, how can... I don't know how I was able to smoke weed and still have a truck driving job at U.S. Express. And I'm telling you this because this is how conniving the devil was in my life, and, and conniving I was. But I never got – I think the first drug test I had was the one I took, the initial one, but they never gave me like randoms like the company got. But believe me, I lived in torment the whole time because every time I got a call from U.S. Express or anything, I didn't drive – I didn't get high when I was driving anything like that. It was always after work thing, which is no excuse. But I was always wondering how, you know, when they going to call me for a drug test. I mean, I was living in fear and torment the whole time. And anyway, uh, this guy, I, once a month, you know, drinking alcohol, it's a downer. So you need something to level it out, you know. So that's when the crack, you know, was coming in. You know, I would do that like once a month. It's just like a celebration thing. It wasn't. I thought it wasn't serious. I thought I had control of it until this guy moved across the hall from me. They worked it forward motor plant, and we were the same age, and this guy smoked it every day. So me coming in from work, seeing him with the women, with the drugs over there, oh, come on over, James, you know, chill out with us. For now, now I got to go to work tomorrow. I hold off for as long as I could. Then it got to the point where we were, I, I was smoking with him. Then it got to the point where we were smoking every day. Then it got to the point where I was calling sick. I wasn't even going to work. You know, his, his nephew was selling the crack, and he would come over there on Friday, get all our money, and then give us credit to next Friday. So every Friday, me and him making, he making like $25 an hour. I'm making like $20 an hour. We didn't have a nickel to rub between us. Every Friday, I, Monday, I said, I'm stopping. I'm through. We would smoke from Friday to Monday. And crack is a serious drug. It's a chemical. That, that's a demon drug right there if I ever saw one. Because you can go Monday and say, I'm not smoking. But by Friday, when you get that paycheck, you get this itching in your stomach. 
and you can't help but get it. I, you know, it, it, only way I could defeat that drug was with Jesus. I don't believe in, I don't believe in rehab. I don't believe in the 12-step program. The only way you could defeat any drug is with Jesus. He was the only one to take that away. The reason why I said I don't yeah. believe in any program because you're making a negative confession. When you're smoking, when you, when you go, and I'm just throwing this in there, but when you go to rehab, you're confessing every time who you are. You never, when you become, when you're in Christ, you become a new creation. Old things have passed away. Everything is made new. But when you go to rehab through the 12-step, everything you use in rehab through the 12-step program, they use Bible principles, but they will not say the name of Jesus. They will not say God. But they will give you that 12-step program and use Bible principles. But when you come in there, you'll say, James, my name is James Henson. I'm a crackhead. Well, I done stopped smoking crack a month. I, I didn't go through this. I'm just saying what I learned after this. I didn't, I didn't, you know, if you stop smoking crack a month before and you're still coming in every day saying you're a crackhead, well, that's a negative confession to me. You, you saying what you wanted to be. And, and the Bible says uh, death and life is in the power of the tongue. And God said, you know, choose life. He even gave you the answer. Don't choose death. But you, you're choosing death. Every time you confess this sin, that's why the the 12-step program keep making money because you're never released. I talk to people in my family and my friends saying, I've been in rehab 30 years. It don't take that long, you know. You know, it don't take 30 years to get away from a drug, but if you've got that negative confession and it's the thing you're around, if you don't have Jesus, you can forget it. That's with any addiction. I just wanted to throw that in there because that that's real deep to my heart, you know, because I watched it. But I was going down to the wrong road again. This was something I thought I could control and I and I couldn't, you know, it was it was I was making love to this drug and being celibate <laughs> with everything else. At that same time I met my angel Rose, that's who I'm married to now, who lived in the same building on the fourth floor. I kept trying to stop stop drugs. The key word is I. I depended I didn't depend on Jesus, I depended on me. Every Sunday I would repent. I was still going to church, but every Monday I was back at it. Rose was a woman of God like no other woman I've ever met. Never got mad, never argued, Was had the patience of Job. She didn't realize, I didn't realize what I had and what God had blessed me with. We dated, but I couldn't kick this old habit. She really didn't know, but she could sense something was wrong because I, I had a way of hiding that I could look perfect. Looked drug free, but I wasn't. We dated for about a year, then planned to get married because she was not into dating. She was a marrying type. It wasn't that fornication type relationship. She wanted me to move in so we could save money because I lived on the first floor. She lived on the second floor. So we agreed to be celibate, but I was still making love to drugs. I started stealing from her. Now, this is my wife I got now. I started stealing from her because she would go to work and leave me at her house, so I would go through her stuff. Even when she gave me $3,000 to pay off all my bills, this was the first time I heard her when I was to start stealing from her. So I decided not to move in but to go to Gary, Indiana, to live in my truck because I was still with U.S. Express, and I had a sleeper truck. So I, to kick this habit, I stayed in that truck for three months. God's grace. This word is mentioned in the Bible 206 times in the King James Version, and I, I tried to use every bit of that 206 times because I, I knew I was wrong. I live with this guilt. Uh, God doesn't have to punish you. Your sin will punish you. You don't have to worry about God coming down and striking you down because the condemnation of your sin, if you if you got any taste of him in you, the guilt will kill you. The, the guilt, the condemnation that you put on yourself and the devil put on you will take you out of here alone. But anyway, for three months, I, you know, I, I, I moved away. I would stop by and visit her. She was still my fiance, but I swore never to move back into this neighborhood or this building because I told her, I said, I can't move back into that place, you know. Uh, I can't do it. Until everybody moves, we got to get a place and move away from there. But my mother has said something that will stick with me to this day. She said, if you don't beat this now, no matter where you go, it'll be with you. So the Holy Spirit gave so. Back then, I was still praying. My, I had this prayer. I said, good morning, God. You're ushering another day. Untouched and freshly new. So here I come to ask you, God, if you can renew me too. Forgive me for this error I made yesterday. Let me try again to God to walk close in my way. But, Father, I'm well aware I can't make it on my own. So take my hand and hold it tight for I can walk alone. I memorized that, and I said that every day. That's the only touch I had with God. And then 
by me saying that, he gave me Psalms 91, 51, and Psalms 143. And slowly, drug dealers went to jail. This is in my neighborhood. And, and, and the guy who lived across the hall from me moved. I moved back, and we got married. The whole, my whole career was based on me come, becoming an own operator. Even though through all that haze, I was still trying to get my own truck. I met a guy at Landstar on my way to trucking school, and he convinced me about Landstar being the ultimate company. Now, this is I didn't have my CDL yet, but my wife, when she met me, that's all I was talking about was, I'm going to Landstar. And she was looking at me like, how this fool going to go to Landstar? He can't even stop me now. But that's my thing. I was like, I'm going to Landstar. One day I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to have my own truck, you know. And anyway, I, I, you know, she had went. My mom said, you know, he's going to be all right. You know, we just keep praying for him, though. My, my, my daughters, my, my, my cousins, my sisters, everybody was telling her to leave me. And she told them, she said, I'm not going to leave him. I see his heart. I see what she was. She see what I could be. I didn't even see it. She seen it back then, and that's why I knew this was a true woman of God because everybody else would have ran, out, ran off of me, and a lot of people did. But anyway, she prayed for me. And my mom prayed for me, and I. But still, I kept smoking weed, you know. So, so I worked for U.S. Express for six years, still smoking weed because I convinced myself this is from the earth and God created it. Still drinking, but not as much. Still dodging drug tests. Then the door opened at Dark Transit. I honestly believe the break came from me being married to my wife because I obtained favor just by by association to her, because it wasn't nothing I did. It had to be from her. She was a praying woman. I asked her, I said, why you never argued or said anything about what I was doing, dragging her in bars? She didn't drink, but she would go in bars with me when I would stop at the night, you know. And she said, I, if I came to you, you wasn't going to stop. But I went to your head, which is God. And when I went to God, you can't say no to him. And then she prayed for almost maybe seven, seven years or something like that, straight to God, you know. So... I, I said I obtained favor, paid the truck. I paid the truck off. I was I, I was able to pay the truck off because we lived in it just about. Went to a rail company instead of going to Landstar because God didn't bless me with Landstar because Landstar was a company that you had to have your ducks in order. You just couldn't be a fly by night guy. So I um I went to the rail company and and wasn't ready. Eight and it was eight months of hell. And then I started back heavy drinking. Because the stress of the job and the pressure was I was under was too much. Then one Wednesday, I got so drunk after I got off work. I was driving home. I parked the truck, but then I went and got drunk. And then I went to the end of the alley and seen some old crack smokers. I hadn't smoked in five years. I seen some old crackheads, and I was like, oh, what y'all doing? They was like, man, you need to go home because they knew I had stopped smoking. Everything was good, you know, and, but I was so under stress at this rail company. I was stuck in traffic every day. I was working 16, 17 hours, and I said, this ain't being an owner-operator. on my truck, but I was still, I couldn't let go, and I'm keep saying I because I couldn't let go. I never went to Jesus and said, Jesus, uh, take this away from me because God won't take nothing away from you that you don't want to let go of. He's not going to force it away from you. You're going to have to, you're going to have to buy faith trust in him to get rid of that drug or that alcohol or the fornication or anything you're doing. You need God. You need Jesus. So I needed something to even out my high. I went almost five years without it. I slipped up that night, went on a three-day dance. The worst I ever done, I hurt everyone around me because everybody thought I was finished. I hurt my wife, my mom, my stepdad. This is the first time I seen my wife cry. She said she couldn't go through this no more. She said finally she was tired of being, and then finally I said I was tired of being sick and tired. On September 8th, September 28th of that year, I got on my knees and asked God to take control of my life. This was the first time I ever done it. I can't handle it. I said, please take me into the, I said, please make me into the man I need to be. Take my marriage, my business, my family, lead me, guide me, direct me. I cried and prayed for 48 hours, which was a Friday to that Sunday. Finally, I was washed clean for the first time in my life what I was looking for finally came. I was free. And the reason why I say this is because I watched my wife for years never drink, smoke, or nothing and wake up every morning with a smile on her face. She had this high from Jesus, and I envied it. And I wanted it, but I couldn't just let go of what I wanted. I was trying to have the world and trying to have her, you know, and have, have Jesus. And it just don't work. That's why I say the torment come in, because I was paranoid. I mean, 
every time I job call, every time I would see a state trooper, they'd say, well, they'd pull you in the scale and give you a drug test at any time. So I lived a life like this for years, and I didn't have to. But that's what I chose because I didn't want to let go of something that I've been holding on for years. But finally I was free. Three months later, I recommitted my life to God, got baptized in the Holy Ghost, and never looked back. I quit the rail company and took 30 days off just to be with God, not knowing how my bills were going to be paid, but I knew God was going to be provide. That's the first time I had faith. Then down, and then the door opened for Landstar. Opportunities came from everywhere. It wasn't about me anymore. It was about Jesus. Finally, I was free. We found a church home. I, I prayed, and I started ministering to people out on the road, and then Somehow I was on Facebook one night, and Channel 21 just came. And I said, wow, this is what I need to do right here. This is just add on to what I'm already doing. I needed that, that support, you know, and, and that's when I joined with Channel 21. All my relationships were restored. That's why I go back to Job. He gave me twice as much as I had before. God, it put something in my spirit, though. When, I, when he watched me clean that weekend, he said, it's clear as day. You're not going to be able to just stop without something to fill this void. You got Jesus, but you need to detox because I didn't detox. So what I did, I went to the vitamin shop. I bought some detox, colon cleanser, all the detox, blood detox, and took all this stuff. And then he said, that's not it. You know, you're going to have to start doing some type of physical exercise. And that's where the running and the walking and the lifting weights came in because I was sitting in the house sometimes. I got rid of everything, but the cigarettes, that was the hardest thing, you know, because I don't know what is in them cigarettes. I could not buy a pack, but as soon as I walk around somebody smoking, I said, let me get a hit off that or something. And that was the hardest thing to get rid of. So when I got the gym membership, after I detoxed, I got the gym membership. And every time I, you could ask my wife for the 30 days I was sitting in the house, I get a fiend for a cigarette, I would run to the gym. And I was going to the gym three times a day for like that whole month until finally I didn't have a need for it anymore. They started to stink. You know, and I couldn't stand the smell. Still can't stand the smell this day. My body right now is like I never got high. You know, and I and so he renewed my he renewed my my youth. He strengthened me again. Everything that all these years, because I missed my high school days, my college days, all this from getting high. And then at 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 forty some years old, he brought all that back. I'm living a life all over again. Like I just went to high school, went to college. I'm, I got my health back and everything. And it was something that you can't buy. And God will restore you. God was always there. Like, I didn't find God. He never went anywhere. He was always there. Right. I just wasn't there, you know. Right. And, and, and living in unrepentant sin, yeah, when you live in unrepentant sin and you keep sinning, being a child of God where you uh, you hinder your, you do hinder your prayers because you're not praying in faith. You're not praying in the spirit. You're relying on your own. I, I, I was getting high to get peace the whole time, and it all started from having the first probably my first sip of beer, my first drink. And I didn't even know it until I had to look into my own eyes and see what was going on. And once I did that, totally free, loving life, loving my wife, and loving God. I became a member of my church executive team. I'm a part. We are partners with about four different ministries now. We still have troubles, but they are not ones I created, but just from life in general. But God said in Psalms 91, I will be with you in trouble.
away from God? Would you like to get closer to God than you've ever been? It's as simple as saying a little prayer, asking Jesus Christ to come into your heart, asking Jesus Christ to fire you back up like you was when you first got saved. Whatever the situation is with you right now, we want to pray with you. All you got to do is pray a simple little prayer. It can be as simple as, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Lord, I want to do more. I want to be everything that you've called me to be. Take out my stony heart and give me a brand new heart. I will live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Without hope, 18 wheels of lonesome at the end of the road. In my hand was a track the preacher had read, his words still echoing in the back of my head. I felt so ashamed when I thought of my past. Then I called his name This chance would it be my last Then I saw Jesus Hanging on that tree I lifted up my heart From down on my knees Today I met Jesus At the foot of the cross Brokenhearted and lonesome So long I've been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree Those 18 wheels are rolling that old lonesome road And I shared the good news Wherever I go Yes, there's been a change I'm not the man I used to be And I tell everybody What's happened to me How I felt so ashamed When I thought of my past but I called his name This chance Could it be my last Then I saw Jesus Hanging on that tree And I lifted up my heart From down on my knees Today I met Jesus At the foot of the cross Brokenhearted and lonesome So long I've been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree Then I saw Jesus Hanging on that tree I lifted up my heart From down on my knees Today I met Jesus Foot of the cross Brokenhearted and lonesome So long I'd been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree drivers this is chaplain gary rayburn lonesome road ministries church on the road radio and we want to hear from you give us a shout 
Our phone number is 618-383-2107 or log on to lonesomeroad.org. And if you can't give us a call, then just blow your air horn as you're driving by. Oh 